0: Under the Tartan Sky, Episode 74, produced October 30, 2020. When it comes to ghosts, ghouls, and the many Halloween traditions we celebrate in the USA, we only have to look to Scotland to find many of their origins. Creepy costumes, trick-or-treating, jack-o'-lanterns, and bobbing for apples all have roots in Scotland, as does one of the most frightening of characters often associated with Halloween, the Vampire King Count Dracula. I'm Glenn Moyer, and Dracula, the classic Gothic horror tale, was written by Bram Stoker while on his summer holidays in the sleepy Aberdeenshire fishing village of Cruden Bay. In a moment, we'll travel there to learn more about the Scottish origins of Dracula, right here, under the tartan sky. Are you .dot .scot yet? .dot .scot is a domain for the worldwide community of Scots, It became available to the public in late 2014 and is used by the Scottish Government and Parliament, the National Health Service in Scotland, and thousands of other organisations and individuals around the globe. .scot doesn't mind where you live or what kind of Scottish connection you have. If you're Scottish by birth, heritage or affinity, or an association that practices and promotes Scottish arts and culture, or a business with some kind of Scottish connection, then .scot is for you best of all, it's easy to sign up to. Simply visit domains.scot, choose your domain name, and you're off and running. And, by the way, if you're just looking for a wee blather, our email service will help you do that too. .scot. Be part of it. Halloween or All Hallows' Eve, the night before the Christian festival of All Hallows or All Saints' Day, can trace its beginnings to the ancient Celtic festival of Samhain. Held on November the 1st, this marked the end of summer and the harvest and the onset of winter. It was believed to be a time when the boundary between this world and the other world thinned and spirits could move easily back and forth. Many of the traditional celebrations involved fire and pagan beliefs, like the lighting of bonfires meant to ward off evil spirits, and possibly the beginning of the carving of jack-o'-lanterns, although in Scotland turnips or neeps were used. Carving pumpkins is a distinctly American tradition. So too is trick-or-treating. In Scotland the term is guising. Dressing in a ghoulish costume, perhaps to disguise the living from the evil spirits traipsing about, people went door to door seeking food and treats. But when guising, you are expected to first perform a song, recite a verse, or act out a short skit. It takes more to be rewarded in Scotland than just shouting, "'Trick or treat!' Also at Samhain, the souls of dead relatives were thought to revisit their homes, seeking hospitality and often warmth from the coming winter." and often a place would be set at the table or by the fireside for these undead. And when it comes to the undead, there is no more a classic tale than that of Dracula. Bram Stoker's gothic horror story, Dracula, was published in 1897 and is today a classic, having spawned an entire genre of vampire literature, film, and theater. The book has never gone out of print, but has gained far more favor in modern times than in Victorian England when first published. Dracula was one of several novels and other writings penned by Stoker during a series of summer holidays spent in the quiet fishing village of Port Errol, now known as Cruden Bay, in the far northeast of Scotland. While it was known that Stoker had visited the village, no one had ever looked very deeply into Stoker's association with Cruden Bay, until recently. Mike Shepherd is a writer, and his home is Cruden Bay. Aware of the legend that Stoker had visited the village, he wondered if there might be a story to be told. What he found, and has published in his book, When Brave Men Shuddered, The Scottish Origins of Dracula, has been hailed as some of the most significant new research into Stoker's life and writings of recent times. Stoker, who was raised near Dublin, was a part-time writer for most of his life, working as a manager of the Lyceum Theatre in London. It wasn't until he was in his 40s and began to take his annual summer holiday in Cruden Bay that his literary creativity was truly awakened. So how did an Irish writer living and working in London come to find himself in far-off Aberdeenshire, Scotland, year after year after year? Somewhat surprisingly, even after the years of his research and the publication of his book, Shepard says he's come upon some new information on that very subject.
1: I came across a, a newspaper cutting which I'd uh, overlooked when I was doing my research because there was so much to read. And uh, one of the local newspapers uh, actually uh, described how Bram Stoker discovered Cruden Bay. And it's quite strange in that it seems that he deliberately set out to find his special place. And this was, uh, I believe, in 1892. And uh, I'll read out uh, the clipping from the newspaper. Cruden has an enthusiastic friend in Mr Bram Stoker. Uh, Mr Stoker made the acquaintance of the district by accident. He wanted to find a bracing place far north on the east coast of Scotland. From a large Ordnance Survey map and the geological formations that he looked at, he knew that some such place must lie uh, on the east coast of Scotland between Peterhead and Aberdeen. Accordingly, he went to Peterhead, which is the village near Cruden Bay, and walked down the coast. And when he saw Cruden Bay, which is about seven miles from Peterhead, He telegraphed to his family to come on to the hotel in the village. Mr. Stoker has been there every every summer since and hopes someday to have a home of his own at Cruden Bay. Now, that's very strange. Um, It's not just as if uh, he happened to come across Cruden Bay uh, when he was on holiday in this part of the world. He actually set out by design to look for a special place. And I think what he was up to here was uh, in 1892, Bram Stoker was 44, and uh, he'd written two books. He'd written some uh, a series of uh, short stories for children, and he'd written a, a novel based in Ireland, neither of which were very successful. And then um, when he discovered Coorden Bay, he would come here year after year uh, for a month every August. And that was the time uh, he devoted to writing his books. And thereafter, you know, from the age of 44, the books just tumbled out of him. It was, it was almost as if uh, he'd undergone a midlife crisis. Um, he had to do something apart from being a, a theatre manager to make his mark in life. And Cruden Bay was a special place where that was going to happen. And it happened.
0: He had a unique outlook on life based very much in in pagan beliefs, Um, and he seemed to find that outlook was similar and shared by a lot of the fisher folk, etc., who inhabited Cruden Bay at the time.
1: Certainly, Bram Stoker was quite a a mystical guy. We've reports of that. Um, Much inspired by um, the almost pagan poetry of uh, the American poet, Walt Whitman. But part of this paganism was focused on nature. And um, Cruden Bay is a a beautiful place. Um, uh, I live next to this two mile long beach, which is uh, glorious to see every day. You know, every day there's, uh, you know, the, the clouds, the sky, you know the colours, sunrise and sunset are so different. Cool. You know um, you feel very close to nature. You've got the birds, you've got the seals, um, you've got the the wonderful flowers and the dunes there. And certainly Bram Stoker uh, appreciated all that, and um, his appreciation of nature comes across in the the, the two books that he wrote set in Cruden Bay. So, um, I've got no doubt that, you know, sort of part of the attraction of the village, not the only attraction, but part of the attraction was that it was so close to nature here. But you also referred to um, sort of pagan aspects of, uh, you know, the locals. And maybe I'll I'll talk a wee bit about that, in that... um, you shouldn't maybe overemphasize that because uh, Cruden Bay in Bram Stoker's time uh, was a fishing village. There's still a few fishermen left, but um, there was a lot more back then in the 1890s. And these guys were uh, devout Christians. And uh, if you'd even suggested to them that uh, you know some of their attitudes were pagan, they would have been very upset at you. But nevertheless, it's clear that, um, from what we know now, that uh, some of their beliefs were indeed pagan. Uh, for example, um, they would devoutly go to church every Sunday, but whenever they went out to sea on their fishing boats, anything to do with uh, the Christian religion was totally taboo offshore. Um, they weren't allowed to mention any words linked with the church. Um, they couldn't say minister or church or such like. Um, you know, they'd, they'd have to find um, circumlocations to get around these words. The minister would be yon by young guy in the black coat, uh, or a church would be uh, that building with a spire over there. And um, what's been described by the academics that have studied um, these pagan attitudes is that the fishermen devoutly worshipped God onshore, but uh, they seemed to worship Neptune offshore. (laughs) There was some sort of uh, entity living in the sea that uh, materially affected their lives.
0: And you talk a bit about that with regard to Bram Stoker and and the time he spent, the hours he spent, no doubt, walking the beach there at at Cruden Bay, and how the beach was sort of the, he viewed it as sort of the borderline between the living world and and the spiritual world, that boundary between, I guess, life and afterlife. Was that a part of of what the fisher folk at the time also felt and, and found within the community?
1: As I say, I mean, uh, there was an element to that, in that, um, you know, as I say, the the fishermen may seem to make a clear distinction between God on shore and some sort of pagan creature offshore. But um, uh, Bram mostly got that from Walt Whitman, who, um, you know, is a major part of uh, Walt Whitman's poetry. You know, the the boundary between uh, the material world is represented by the solid physical land and the sea, which is forever sh- shifting, shapeless, moving, not quite definable, and uh, that was the spiritual world. So uh, you, you can see the Walt Whitman influence there. But, um, you know... Um, Bram was fascinated by anything to do with the sea, and uh, you you get the impression from his books that, uh, you know, he actually felt spiritually close to the fishermen, and you get the sense that he also believed in some sort of uh, entity within the sea. There wasn't anything to do with the Christian world.
0: Well, let's get on to the the book. We should mention, of course, that while we're talking about Dracula, um, Stoker did write a number of other books, and a couple of which were actually um, set and, and also show influences from his time spent there in Port Errol in Cruden Bay. Is that right?
1: Indeed, he, he wrote two books. Uh, the first one was uh, The Water's Moon. uh refers to a sea gorge uh Actually, very close to my house. It's just at the back of my house here. And um, it's uh, a smuggling tale, Um, you know, sort of whereby uh, the the villagers are uh, smuggling. The local coast guard is trying to catch them. And it all gets a bit involved. um, And there's a love story that goes sadly wrong. It's very melodramatic. But the second book, uh, The Mystery of the Sea, is much more interesting for me because in the book it is full of loving descriptions of uh, the coastal scenery around Curtin Bay, you know, uh, including the beach that I walk every morning, and uh, descriptions of uh, places in the village, and the, the characters are recognizable from characters that I I come across today within Scotland, you know. Um, So I just uh, love that book.
0: Well, let's talk a bit about Dracula. That's what we're actually here to talk about anyway. That in your book, which explores the impact that uh, the influence that Port Errol and Cruden Bay had on Bram Stoker in writing the book. While he wrote the book, as you document in yours, um, on his various summer retreats there, the idea for a book about vampires, the idea the, the root idea, I guess, for the book Dracula, had been in his head for some time, wasn't it?
1: Yeah, well, right. As I say, he first discovered Couldn't Be in um eighteen ninety-two. The his his notes for Dracula uh, still survive and can be read today and I've read them. And uh, he he first started to putting together the plot. Um, but two years before, in 1890, and by the time he discovered Cruden Bay, uh, much of the the plot uh, for the novel know, had been put together. But the, the strange thing is, uh, he had he hadn't started writing it. In fact, he, he wouldn't start writing it until um, his summer holiday of 1895 in in Cruden Bay. Now, in my dealings with uh, Bram Stoker Um in my investigations. I actually got in touch with uh, the Stoker family and uh, talked quite extensively with Dacre Stoker uh, who lives in the States. He lives in South Carolina. And he's the great-grandnephew of Bram Stoker. And he got so excited about my work, he actually came across to visit me in Cruden Bay two years ago. And he came last year for a second visit, stood in the house, and he was due to come again, just like his famous ancestor. You know, so besotted with Cruden Bay, he wanted to come back uh, again and again, you know. So um, so Dacre gave me a lot of uh, insights into Bram Stoker and the writing of Dracula.
0: One of the great landmarks near Cruden Bay is Slane's Castle. Perched on a rocky cliff top a few miles from the village, it is a popularly held belief that this castle served as the model for Stoker's Castle Dracula. The castle is in ruin today, but was still lived in when Bram Stoker was frequenting Cruden Bay back in the late 1800s. Shepard says there is an unquestionable connection between Slane's Castle and Castle Dracula. But he says Dacre Stoker believes that Slane's Castle was not the sole model for Castle Dracula.
1: What had been known about in the village, but uh, not outside the village, was a direct link between uh, Slane's Castle and Dracula, in that Bram Stoker had used part of the floor plan of Slane's Castle actually for his book. And uh, one of the signposts for that is that there is actually a very distinctive room. But it still survives in amongst the ruins of the castle. And it's called the Octagonal Room. And the Octagonal Room in Slains Castle is actually in the book. I'll just read out this bit from Dracula, whereby um, Jonathan Harker has just uh, turned up to Castle Dracula in Transylvania. And the rather strange-looking Count Dracula has invited him through the front door And the passage starts, the Count halted, putting down my bags, closed the door, and crossing the room, opened another door, which led into a small octagonal room lit by a single lamp, and seemingly without a window of any sort. Now I managed to track down uh, a photograph of the original octagonal room, as it looked like when the castle was still lived in. And looking at the photograph, you know, that was that's an exact description of the octagonal room in Slain's castle. So I, I chatted uh, this over with Dacre, and uh, he does a lot of research into uh, his famous ancestor. And together, you know, we concluded that, um, you know, there's a lot of discussion, you know, uh, where is Castle Dracula? Where is the original for Castle Dracula? And of opinion that uh, uh, Bram actually cherry-picked parts of the description from different places. And his conclusion is that uh, the exterior is uh, one or two castles in uh, the actual present-day Transylvania, whereas the interior uh, is mostly taken from Slade's Castle. And when Bram Stoker was... uh, writing Dracula in Cruden Bay. Um, Slins Castle is such a prominent landmark. you could see it from, you know, uh, all around the village. And according to Deca, he described it as his visual palette while writing the book. Um, that's the main link, uh, direct link, between Cruden Bay and uh, the actual text of, of Dracula.
0: I want to get back to this octagonal room, because in the book, you suggest there's really no evidence to say he was ever in the castle, though you feel that he probably was, and I would tend to agree. Otherwise, how would he have come up with the, with the octagonal room? But Slane's castle was not a model for um, uh, Castle Dracula. While he took parts of it, he stopped short of using Slane's castle as the model for Castle Dracula. Well,
1: indeed. Um, But to put that into context, um, Slay's Castle actually appears quite a lot in Bram Stoker's novels. Uh, In the two novels set in Cruden Bay, he actually specifically uh, mentions them by name. And um, there's the octagonal Roman Dracula. But some of his other novels, uh, it's the description of the castles, although they're not named as Lane's Castle. They've got other names. Um, clearly is Lane's Castle. It's very distinctive because uh, it's a prominent uh, castle right in the edge of uh, high sea cliffs overlooking the North Sea. And um, there's nothing else within maybe about a mile castle, which is bleak, you know, moorland. So it just actually stands out there on the edge of the cliff. Very distinctive, very dramatic when you see it. And uh, when you actually uh, visit the castle, um, you hear the sound of uh, the waves crashing against the cliffs underneath. You know, it's uh, the thing that... Um, Impacts the senses when you're you're there, and all these other castles, you know, are on the edge of edge in Bram Stoker's other novels. You know, Slains Castle looks like standing on the edge of cliffs, with the the sea crashing against uh, the rocks below. So yeah, it's no great surprise that uh, parts of Slains Castle have actually made it into Dracula.
0: As Shepard writes in his book, Bram Stoker is recalled in Cruden Bay as a quite friendly, likable, even jovial sort of guy. But when he began to write Dracula in 1895, there was a noticeable transformation.
1: He was here in the village, staying in the local hotel uh, with his wife, Florence, and their son, Noel. He was 15 at the time. And uh, years later, Uh, Florence was actually interviewed by the Daily Mail and asked, you know, uh, what happened when Bram Stoker wrote Dracula here. And here's what she said. When he was at work in Dracula, we were all frightened of him. It was up in a lonely part of the east coast of Scotland, and he seemed to get obsessed by the spirit of the thing. There he would sit for hours like a great bat perched on the rocks of the shore, wander alone up and down the sandhills." Now, uh, one of Bram Stoker's biographers uh, interviewed uh, Noel Stoker, the son, when he was still alive, and uh, asked him about that. And Noel Stoker told him that, yeah, yeah, indeed, uh, his father uh, was behaving very strangely when he was writing Dracula here in the village, in that... Um, Normally, you know, a very jolly, jokey sort of guy. He was so tensed up, very withdrawn into himself, emotionally unavailable, and at the least interruption, he uh, wouldn't say anything. He would just storm out of the hotel and walk along the beach, miles away from anywhere. And, uh, you know, you wouldn't see him for hours. And uh, there's been some speculation as to what he was doing and um, what I reckon as I write in the book. You've got to remember that Bram Stoker, um, his full-time job was a theatre manager in London, and he worked with, uh, you know, one of the most famous actors uh, of of the time. And what I believe he was doing was that uh, he, he'd adopted uh, method acting normally used in the, the theater uh, to help him with his writing now how method acting works is that if you're playing a if you're in the theater playing a part and you're trying to convey a, a, an emotion uh, it doesn't come across too well if you just play act at the emotion um, Method acting involves actually uh, forcing yourself to feel that emotion. And then it comes across as a lot more authentic. What the biographers believe happened here in Cruden Bay is that Bram Stoker put himself into the part of Count Dracula. And uh, using method acting techniques, he was trying to get some authenticity into the writing of Dracula. And it certainly worked, but it's quite a bizarre thought that, uh, you know, for a month uh, in the summer of 1895, Bram Stoker was stalking up and down Cruden Bay Beach, pretending to be Count Dracula.
0: In your research, you were, I think, surprised to find uh, a number of locals who had very distinct memories, family memories of uh, Bram Stoker's time there. Can you tell me a little about that?
1: Curtin Bay is my home, and it's just a small village. Uh, it's about 1,400 people, and it's small enough that, you know, everybody sort of knows everybody else and knows everybody else's business, as, as you get with a, a small village. And, um, you know, the, the families have been here for, you know, uh, a, a very long time, you know, hundreds of years. And uh, there's uh, stability and longevity to uh, the village, which is great, you know, uh, for the likes of me because uh, I've actually been able to talk to people. Um, okay, I mean Bram Stoker was last here over 120 years ago, but family memories still still survive. In particular, I can tell you the story about um, how. I was trying to track down this cottage that uh, I knew Bram Stoker stayed in, you know, when when he was in the village. It it was his main residence. But I didn't have the name of the cottage, uh, so I didn't know which one it was. And I eventually managed to uh, uh, track down this reference to a a Hilton cottage, which is not far from the Kamarnak Arms Hotel. So I said, Oh, I know we're helping cottages. And I went up there uh, just to, you know, look at it a bit more closely. And I went to the back gate, and the owner of the house saw me and thought, you know, this is a very suspicious looking character. And she said to me, What do you want? <laughs> well, a bit more politely than that. Um, so, if, uh, can I help you in any way? Well, I, I asked her straight out. Did Bram Stoker stay to you? She said, yes. Why would you ask? Oh, I've been looking for this place for ages. Um, you know, have you got any details? Bram Stoker's stay here. Yeah, we've got some. Um, do you want to come in? And She invited me in for a cup of tea. I was sat down and she told me um, she'd been in the house since uh, the 1960s. And when she first moved in, uh, her next door neighbour, who was an old woman, leaned across uh, the garden fence and said to her, I used to see Bram Stoker uh, writing his books in your front garden. I said to her, really? Yeah, yeah. Um, and she took me out into the, the front garden and uh, showed me the spot where he used to write his books. You know? In fact, I uh, uh, a large number of his books were probably in that spot or within the house, you know. So, um, you know, that was amazing, you know, just, uh, you know, coming across a family memory like that. But she wasn't the only one. Uh, another woman uh, who uh, I've been taught to talk to told me this story about uh, how her parents uh, had looked after Bram Stoker's dog it's a very silly story, but it's very interesting as well. And that uh, Bram Stoker turned up at the village uh, with a big dog one summer. And, um, you know, the Hilton Cottage was actually uh, an annex from the hotel. And uh, the owner of the hotel had a very strict no pets policy and told Bram and, uh he couldn't keep the dog in the you know, the cottage, and uh, it wouldn't change his mind. You're going to have to find somebody to look after the dog. So actually uh went across the road to the, you know, the house opposite, knocked on the door, and uh, this was Marna's parents, and he asked them straight out, you know, so if, uh, can you look after my dog? And they looked after uh, Bram's dog for a month. And Marna, who's just a little girl, um, you know, sort of uh, when her parents told her this, um, said that when Bram went back to London, he was so grateful that they looked after his dog, he sent them uh, an enormous box of chocolates with uh, uh, a lilac lily in cloth on the front. And Marna, you know, um, the only reason she remembers the story is she used to love that box, which unfortunately yeah, didn't survive. But she remembered the story about uh, the dog. So um, I asked Marna the uh, the obvious question: whose dog was it? Ooh, I don't know. I was just a young girl. I wasn't really interested. What was the name of the dog? Well, I don't know that either. But some of my friends in the village, you know, sort of uh, speculated. Yeah, you know, the favourite is Fang. And another story: um, I knew that uh, Bram Stoker had spent um, at least one summer in uh, a cottage next village down from Cruden Bay, and uh, his landlady in the village had been uh, a woman called Isaac Kai. And um, I went over to Winifold. I'd been told to talk to uh, an old woman in the village. And um, I wasn't really asking her about Bram Stoker. I mean, I was just asking her about uh, life in the village when it was a fishing village. And um, just sat down chatting. And uh, I said to Elsie, you know, the main reason I'm here is... uh, I'm interested in, you know, the the cottage where Bram Stoker stayed. Uh and his landlady uh was a woman called Izzy Kai. And Elsie looked to me and said, oh, my auntie Izzy. I said, Your auntie Izzy? Well, she wasn't really an auntie, she was my grand aunt actually. I said, Did you know her? Oh yeah. <laughs> auntie Izzy. Yeah. You knew Bram Stoker's landlady. Yeah, uh, I was just a young girl at the time, and she was an old lady. But yeah, um, we used to sort of clean out her cottage for, for her. Elsie actually told me uh, uh, one or two stories about Bram Stoker that she remembered her mum, mo- her mum, Towner, and uh, I took David Stoker along to to meet her and. Uh, you know, he, he was flabbergasted by all I mean, 83 years old and just, you know, perfect memory of, uh, you know, everything that happened. Yeah. And with Daker there, uh, she'd remembered a story about, um I said, oh, I remember something my mum told me about uh, how Bram Stoker and Florence used to walk along the beach uh, to come to Pony to visit uh, Izzy's house, because she, she ran it as a cafe in the summer. And they would stop off for uh, tea and a scone you know, on a regular basis. And that's how they got to the cottage. And um, He stayed there. Ram Stoker stayed there in his last visit just two years before he died.
0: Were you surprised to find that those... Family memories still exist that there were so many people in the area that remember uh, family members who had uh, encounters with Bram Stoker.
1: Uh, well, not really, as I say, you know, um, you know, uh, couldn't be miles from anywhere. You know, the nearest city of any description is Aberdeen, about twenty-three miles away. There's not many villages nearby, so. Marsman anywhere. It's uh, got stable population. Um, you know, uh, been, families have been here for years, so uh, it was no great surprise that you know these memories, you know, had uh, survived, and also uh, you know some artifacts had sort of lingered as well from that time. Um, one of the things that uh, astonished me was uh believe it or not my next door neighbor talked to me one day um and uh she'd heard that i was investigating bram stoker's time in cruden bay and she said i've got something that might interest you so i went i went into the house and she got out this book distinctly unpromising because there was a recipe book. And I said, mm, yeah, yeah. what's that, Anne? So it's a, it's a recipe book, and it was uh, published by the Cruden Parish Church in 1912. I said, yeah. But it's got a very special recipe in it. I'll show you this. And she opened the book. And uh there there was it was actually two recipes from uh Florence Stoker, you know, Bram's wife. And one of the recipes was very special. You know, I was like, oh look at this, I can't believe it. And there was a recipe for uh Dracula salad, believe it or not, suitable for vegan vampires. And uh Dracula salad, um here's the recipe. Arrange alternate slices of ripe tomatoes and ripe purple egg shaped plums in dish and dress with oil and vinegar and French dressing. Yeah, it doesn't sound very uh, appetizing, must mustard be? But uh, the local hotel, um, once this pesky bog is over, um, is going to put an Easter on its menu Dracula salad, the original Dracula <coughs> salad. Yeah. But I was amazed. I mean, this, this was my next-door neighbour, and she came up with something like that, which uh, nobody else had ever heard of. Um, for those interested in in Dracula, and there's a lot of people fascinated by the book, this was a major discovery, you know, that Florence had published the Dracula Salad.
0: Back to the book for, for a moment. Dracula was unmistakably his greatest literary success, and yet it did not make him a member of the rich and famous. He didn't get wealthy off of it by any means during his lifetime. What's changed that now puts Dracula where many hold it, and that is at the pinnacle of the genre of uh, vampire fiction, gothic fiction, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, it's become the basis for an entire genre of literature and film but it never achieved that success during his lifetime. What changed to make Dracula so popular as it is today?
1: Well, uh, Dracula has never gone out of print since uh, Bram Stoker wrote it, so uh, it was moderately successful when he was alive. But what made it uh, an internationally famous book was the, the first uh, Hollywood film with Bela Lugosa. Um, so if I remember right, it was about 1932 or so. And uh, that was such a popular film that uh, the sales of Dracula the book took off afterwards, and uh, you know um, Bram Stoker became famous in no way that he imagined during during his lifetime. Yeah. Um, but uh, the book also helps in that um, when you read Dracula. Uh, Well, it's a cracking good story for a start. Bram Stoker's characters um, aren't particularly well fleshed out, but it's uh, how he describes atmosphere uh, and uh, a sense of doom. Um, Nobody nobody comes close in uh, writing horror like Bram Stoker does. And for a book that's what... Uh, 123 years old, still widely read today and enjoyed today. You know, there's many Dracula fans out there that, um, you know, have had uh, a prison of horror by reading the book and Bram Stoker's wonderful uh, descriptions of the evil goings on in Castle Dracula and so on. So, yeah, um, uh, it's not just the film, it's the book itself.
0: Throughout most of his life, he was really a part-time writer. It wasn't really until late in life that he um, that his books, his writing, had to earn his principal income. Um, for someone who wanted to know more about Bram Stoker, not so much Dracula perhaps, but Stoker himself and his writing, what book of his would you recommend someone be reading?
1: Well, I would, I would certainly recommend uh, The Mystery of the Sea. Um It's actually my favourite book of his, apart from the fact that it's actually set within two miles of my house here in Cruden Bay, Um, in that uh, I've got this theory. uh, It was his first major book after writing Dracula, and what's interesting is that uh, the main character in the book is obviously himself, and my theory is that his wife probably had a part to play in that. Says, you're not writing another boot like Dracula. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>, so, <sort of laughs> behaving like that again. Yeah, so, Bram came up with the idea of uh, putting himself into a book as the main character so he wouldn't have to uh, pretend to be anybody else but him. The outcome of that is uh, the real Bram Stoker actually comes out in the book. In particular, his very mystical and Almost pagan attitude to, to life. And it's a, it's a great read as well. You know, it's, uh, it's actually, um, you know, to, to the beauties of Cruden Bay, uh, the people we met there. And it's a thriller as well, um, based on uh, the shipwreck of a Spanish galleon near Cruden Bay,
0: which did actually happen. Beyond Slain's Castle are there other sites that remain today in the Cruden Bay area that are associated, were associated with Bram Stoker during his visit that a visitor to the area could see?
1: Oh, indeed. Um, now, the, the main site uh, in Cruden Bay linked with uh, Bram Stoker is uh, the big hotel in the centre of the village, which is the, the Kilmarnock Arms Hotel. And... Um, you can go in there, um, and they believe they know the the room that uh, the family stayed in. So you can you can actually stay in the room where where Dracula was written. And uh, they also have uh, a guest guest book that survives from uh, the years that Bram Stoker stayed in the village, and he's uh, you can actually see his signature in the guest book. Um, The the signature's in there for the years 1894 and 1895. Um, The signature for 1895 is particularly interesting because it's the very last thing he wrote before he started writing Dracula.
0: What's Cruden Bay like today versus the time when uh, Bram Stoker was there writing Dracula? Well, it hasn't changed much, you
1: know. You know, when Dacre was here, uh, I, I showed him some old Victorian photographs and uh, we looked at one or two paintings from the time. And it was recognisably the same Cruden Bay as today. You know, there's some modern housing here, but Bram Stoker could come back and he'd recognise the Commandic Arms Hotel, he'd recognise the Hilton Cottage, and uh, he'd recognise the, the whole of the fishing village. Um, So it's firstly untouched since uh, Bram Stoker's time.
0: I wonder what he would think of uh, the various reincarnations, if you will, of Count Dracula. And and I'm thinking in particular of some of the more perhaps ridiculous ones. Um, there's, you know, Count Chocula cereal, and <laughs> yes. uh, even Sesame Street had, you know, count, uh, count von Count, I think it was, who was not evil at all, but helped children learn mathematics, learn to count. Um, but what do you think Bram Stoker would think of Count Dracula having inspired those types of characters?
1: I, don't, I, I, I think he would be quite amused, as, because uh, Bram Stoker liked a good joke. Like any writer, Um, there's lots of in-jokes in Dracula. There's no way the public would understand that they were in-jokes. But um, his close friends would have got them. And uh, apparently the book abounds with them. I can't quote any direct examples, but, you know, uh, lots of cryptic references to uh, things that his friends would understand.
0: Had Bram Stoker not found... Port Errol and Cruden Bay is his special place. Would he have likely written Dracula anyway? And do you think it would have been the same book?
1: Um, I talked to Dick Stoker about that, and he he thinks that um, not necessarily, you know, Cruden Bay, but just finding uh, a regular slot for writing his books was what mattered to Bram that he had a place place of peace and beauty and contemplation, uh, which would give him uh, the time and space to actually think over his books and and write them. He could come back to year after year, uh, every August, you know, to write his books. And Green Bay was perfect for that.
0: My thanks to author and Cruden Bay resident Mike Shepard for sharing with us some of his amazing knowledge about how his home village served as a writing retreat for Bram Stoker and helped to bring Count Dracula to life. Mike's book, When Brave Men Shuddered, The Scottish Origins of Dracula, is available on Amazon and other outlets and a link will be in our show notes on the website www.underthetartansky.scott. You might be interested to know that Slane's Castle is just one of the near 300 castles, stately homes and ruins dotting the Aberdeenshire landscape. It's known as Scotland's Castle Trail. I can also share with you that Shepherd and Dacre Stoker have collaborated on a new book about Slane's Castle, its history, involvement with Dracula, Bram Stoker's other writings and much, much more look for it to be published in the coming new year and perhaps we'll visit with Mike again then. Meanwhile, I am thrilled to announce that this episode of the podcast, The Scottish Origins of Dracula, is just part one of a two-part story. Next time we'll continue to examine idyllic Cruden Bay, its impact on Bram Stoker's literary works, and the significance of Dracula to the Stoker family, when my guest will be Mr. Dacre Stoker the great-grandnephew of Bram Stoker. Until next time, Happy Halloween, and I hope you found this episode a real treat. I'm Glenn Moyer. Tapolev agis alwa Bra. Under
1: the Tartan Sky is a production of Glenn L. Moyer Creative Communications. For show notes and more information on this and all Under the Tartan Sky episodes, please visit our website at www.underthetartansky.scot. Have an idea for a future episode? Or get in touch via email at info at underthetartansky.scot. Visit and like our page on Facebook and follow us on Twitter, where our username is at underscore tartansky. That's the underscore symbol tartansky. And thank you for listening.